Hello, welcome back to I Am An Arrow. I am Brittany, and today we have a survivor story. Alicia White was born and raised in Sacramento, California. She is the oldest of seven children. At a young age, Alicia witnessed her mother being abused through two marriages, which was hard because many times she had to pretend she was sick to watch her mother. One time she came home and her mother had taken pills. Thank God for learning CPR. The cycle continued with her through two relationships until she decided no more. Alicia has been free from domestic violence for 20 plus years and now lives in Monroe, Georgia with her husband, Harith White, for 15 years. They have a blended family of four children with 11 grandchildren. Alicia is the author of an ebook. From Brokenness to Blessed Assurance, with two books being written. Alicia has previously worked for the Clove, a shelter that provides care for teens who have run away from home or needing emergency shelter that have been abused. She enjoys singing, reading, writing, and letting women know that they are beautiful because they are made in God's own image. No woman should stay in the pain. It is time to break the chain of domestic violence. Hello, my name is Elisa White. I am the founder of Broken But Blessed, encouraging women and children everywhere. So I came on here to tell my story of child abuse, molestation, and the oldest child watching her mother being abused. Now at some of the times I can't remember the age I was, but I do remember everything vividly. So the account of child abuse, I remember going to a babysitter. I don't remember her name, but I'm going to a babysitter. I currently reside in Monroe, Georgia, but I was raised in Sacramento, California. And at this time, I lived in San Francisco, California. We went to the babysitter's house and my little brother was asleep. And I was taking a nap too. So she came in the room and she I was laying down on my back and she started rubbing on me. And I really didn't understand or I didn't know what was going on. Then she laid on me and you know, it was in a gyrating motion. But at that time, she had her clothes on. I had my clothes on. Then she just said, I'm, you know, don't tell anybody. I just want to try something for a minute. And then she went in the bathroom and she took her clothes off. She took mine off. And she took a bar of soap. It was ivory soap. I'll never forget it. It was ivory soap. So she took the ivory soap and rubbed it on herself and then she rubbed it on me and she said, this is going to make you feel better. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't understand, but it didn't feel good in the back of my head. I knew something was going on and I knew something was wrong. So she proceeded to do what she did. Everything stopped. She dressed me. She dressed herself and she said, don't tell your mom. 
Because if you, if you tell your mom, then she's going to call the police and you're going to get taken from her. So I kept it maybe about a month or two months. Because also with the situation happened, my mom was with, at that time, my stepfather. And, you know, I would hear them arguing. I would hear them fighting. I would hear bumping. I would hear, you know, all kind of things. And I knew he didn't like me because some of the times... When he would be fighting, he would say, you know, I don't want her in here. She she causes trouble. You know, you need to get rid of her. Your mom and dad to take care of her. And then I would hear just terrible things being said about me. So I didn't say anything for a minute. Like I said, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, I can't exactly remember. But I didn't say too much. So I did finally. And so when I did, you know, they she did tell him, and he he showed some kind of concern. He said, see, see, I told you she's trouble. Everywhere she go, things happen. So I felt that he blamed me, but my mom called my grandmother and my grandfather at that time. They were in Sacramento because I said I was born and raised in Sacramento. But when she married him, she moved to San Francisco. And I remember, you know, police coming in and talking to her. I remember them talking to me. And after that, I kind of went blank. Um, my grandfather was a psychologist at that time. So I guess he took over and he kind of counseled me because he said at that time I blacked it out. But I do remember, you know, my mom being gone for about a month or two months. And then finally, when I got old enough, um, he pulled me aside and told me that she had beat the babysitter up and threw her down a flight of stairs. So she ended up going to jail for about two months. The second thing that happened, this is where the absorbing her being abused came in. He was at a famous college where he played basketball. And I guess he was up for the pros. I guess he was just that good. I don't remember, but, you know, mom would say I would go to the basketball games. But as I said, he never really liked me. So the verbal abuse continued with her. The verbal abuse continued with me. And he had, the first time I heard him jumping on her, he was in there fussing about, you know, she never supported him. And all you are, you're always here. You don't do nothing. You cook, you clean, but you don't support me the way I need you to support me. And I went in the room and I told him, you know, stop talking to my mom like that. That's rude. That's mean. So he told me, shut up, and then he called me a bastard. And he told her, you need to get rid of her right now. Get rid of her or it's going to make worse things worse for you. So after that, things did get worse. I um, remember her saying, because it was the summertime, and every summer, my grandfather, my papa, how I came up with that name, I don't know, but my papa would come and get me during the summer and I would get a chance to stay with them. You know, being around them was a blessing. Being around them was so pleasurable. So he said, this time you're going to get it, you know, and he, she told him, leave her alone, leave her alone. And he slapped her. So she went in a room and she stayed in a room and, um, 
I went in when I saw him drive off and leave. Because this area in San Francisco, it was Hunter's Point. It was considered the ghetto. So I remember him going downstairs and, and I don't know if he drove or what. I just don't remember. But he left for a couple of hours. And she explained to me that this time going in the summer, I was going to go with Nani and Papa, but I wasn't going to come back. So she packed up all my clothes and everything. And, you know, they drove down and I had all my suitcases ready and they walked in the door, you know, and they never really got in to it with her. They never really said anything to him, but they got my stuff. And he said, I changed my mind. She needs to learn how to live bluff, rough. She needs to learn how to live hard, you know, so she can't go. She she can go for the summer, but she's not coming back. And if you have something to say about it, you deal with me. So my grandfather really didn't say too much, but I hated him at that time because he was just so mean to me. My brother was special needs, so he couldn't really do nothing. So um, I remember seeing on the floor, um, and I put my arms around the table. Those were old marble tables. So I told him, I said, you're, you're horrible, you're terrible, you mean. So I did get to go, and then eventually, as time moved on, we moved to a city called Daly City. And that's when I physically... Not physically, that's when the first time, he was still in that college, that's the first time I saw him do something to her. I would hear the screaming and the hollering and the yelling again. At that time, there was three of us. Me, my brother, my sister, but she was pregnant with the third baby. She was pregnant with the fourth baby. So I remember her saying, how could you do this to me? You know, I know we've been having problems. I know things haven't been working out, but how could you cheat on me? She had found some letters. I remember sitting in the middle of the floor. There was three stairs. I had the bottom corner room. So I remember sitting in the middle of the floor, you know, by their door, listening to everything that was going on. Yes, he saw me sitting in the floor and he said, what are you doing here? Go to your room. Go to your room. You've always been in trouble. You're not my child. You're not my child. You got your own daddy. So, you know, I went out and I rented a room, but a my grandfather gave me this Louisville slugger, this bat that had a bar in the middle of it. They had brought the fight outside their room and he said, I'm leaving you for her. So they got to arguing and fussing again and he just took her and pushed her down the stairs. So she fell down the stairs and she was pregnant with my sister. So at that time, this was October in 1973. So he pushed her down the stairs and I told him, you're going to get it. My grandparents had always raised me in church, had always raised me to believe in God. I said, you're going to get it. I said, God doesn't like ugly and he's going to deal with you. Unbeknownst to me that I know I spoke something into existence. So she had my sister in November, November the 3rd, 1973. She had taken off of work, but she went back to work in December. The day after Christmas or maybe a week or so after Christmas. So I went upstairs to the bathroom. And later on, my brother came upstairs and he said, Lisa, Lisa, the... The tree's on fire. The tree's on fire. The curtains are on fire.
So I ran downstairs and I saw the fire and I ran back upstairs and told him, Daddy, Daddy, the house is on fire. What I tell you about calling me that? You call me by my first name. So I really didn't pay attention to it because, you know, the house was on fire. So he um, got us out of the house, got my brother out of the house, and we were all standing on the porch. So he was standing on the porch screaming, fire, fire. And then at that time, my mom's neighbor snatched him off. I ran down the stairs and he looked down. Before that happened, he looked down and saw that he was in his underwear. He said, I got to go back and put my pants on. He never came out the house. He died in that house at the back door in a fire. So moving on, we stayed in that house for a little while and, you know, she dated for a while, but she wanted to move back to Sacramento with my grandparents. So we did. And life was great. Life was wonderful. Life was awesome until maybe junior high, high school, something like that. I can't really remember. She met this guy, man, and at beginning, he seemed so nice. He was a singer. He was in this group. But little did I know, my mother married into, married an abuser. And the entire family of males were pedophilers. You know, I never really witnessed it. You know, I would hear it. I would see, you know, bruises on her face. I would see bruises on her arm. You know, most of the time they were on her legs. So later on, I, you know, I did see it. I did hear it. And as the oldest, you know, in the back of my head, I'm going to protect my mom. I'm going to protect my mom. So, you know, I would hit him with paddles. I would hit him with bars. But she never, at this time, she never left him. She never left him. So moving on down the line, I met my daughter's father. And um, we were together. So I kind of closed myself in. No, let me back up. Um, I was going back and forth to school. I was going back and forth to school, so I knew he was beating her up, and I knew he was doing horrible things to her. And this one particular time I was at school, and something just edged to me. Something told me, go home, go home, go home. So I have a severe allergy to peanuts. And I ate just a little tip of the peanut. And I didn't stop breathing. My asthma kicked in. So the nurse at that time, that's when nurses were at the junior highs and the high schools at elementary. She gave me an adrenaline shot and I think some Benadryl or something. I don't remember what it was. And, you know, she took me home. They knew something was going on because I, I did have good grades, but I always kept to myself. So she, I said, I'm okay. You know, I can go in the house. And I went in the house and I said, Mom, you know, where are you? You know, what's going on? I went into the bathroom and she was laying on the floor. My grandparents had insisted that I learn how to do CPR because, you know, he was so abusive to her. So I performed CPR, brought her back, called the ambulance, and they took her and they put her in, you know, a, a home. I was say the nut house, and she stayed there for a while, but he was still there. And the abuse just continued on and on and on until after I uh, 
got pregnant and I had my daughter. So I remember one time, you know, she was little and I walked into the garage and they were, him and his brother were in there shooting up. I knew we smoked weed. Then I figured out, you know, of the drug use. But the abuse continued on and continued on till there was one time when my um, daughter's father was there. He came out and he was never really mean or did anything to me. He was just sneaky. So he came out and told her I was being nosy and I needed to be, well, I'm 17 years old. I didn't need to be punished. I had had a child on my own, but he wanted to uh, get rid of me because I knew he was doing drugs. He had beat, as I said, he had beaten her, but this time he asked to borrow my my daughter's father's car. Um, he came back that night and um, he had gotten up and went to his car and he said, there's blood in the car. Didn't know. She had been gone actually maybe half a day that night, but she didn't come back to that night. So I found out he had busted her head open and she had staples in her head. So he asked him, what's going on? What did you do? And they ended up in a fight. So because of that fight and me intervening, I had to uh, take my daughter and I went to a shelter. Came back home, everything was okay for a minute. So I was in my room and his brother came in and said, I know I'm your uncle, but uh, I'm gonna have a baby with you. You know, and I already got one. I can't remember how old she was, maybe a year or something like that. And I said, no. He said, you're going to have a baby with me willingly or unwillingly. More child abuse because I had, and I told my mom and she said, don't worry. He was drunk. He's on drugs. So I slept literally with two butcher knives under my bed. My grandfather would come and visit and spend the night to try to, you know, ease everything. I had bars on my window, so I knew he couldn't come through the window. So later on, I, de I dealt with emotional abuse with her father. Then that really wasn't that bad. Then the, the last form of abuse was this one guy. Didn't know it. He would jump on me. He would cuss me out. And I didn't really stay in that long. Maybe I stayed about three, four months of even that. The last time he jumped on me, he wanted sex. He wanted oral sex. And I said no because his son was in the car and I really wasn't into that. He slapped me all in my face, upside my head, and something in my head just said go. So I said pull over, I'm going to be sick. And he had a Jeep Cherokee. He said I don't want you throwing up in my car. So, you know, I leaned over, I jumped out the Jeep, ran down this mountain, and I got home. No, I got to a phone booth, and I called my sister. And at that time, my um, stepbrother was there. And they came and got me and said, you know, this is not going to happen again. So he came later on that day and, come on, come on, I'm sorry. So my, bo my brother and three or four of his friends told him, you know, don't you ever put your hands on my sister. She's the oldest, and... I could see you arguing and talking to her, but you put your hands on her. And if you put your hands on her again. 
He said, if you put your hands on her again, we're going to cut your liver up before you fry it up and eat it before you. So I'm telling this story for those that have been through something like what I have, but for somebody that thinks that children don't know, children don't understand because I did know it affected me in a terrible way because I had nightmares when I would be in school. Even after I graduated out of school, I would hear sirens and I'd be in the area and I would just wonder, you know, are they going to my house? You know, am I going to pull up? Because this was the 70s, the 80s and the 90s and there was no such thing as cell phones. 70s, the 80s and the 90s. Am I going to pull up at home when my mother is in going in the ambulance or am I going to go home and she's dead? But the only way she got rid of him was we had moved again because the neighborhood knew what was going on. And I guess she was a little embarrassed and didn't want to uh, be there. So he had gotten into an argument with her. And um, there was a pot boiling on a stove. I was fixing some French fries. So we hit her. And I grabbed a pot and I chased him with the pot. He ran out the house as he got on the porch. He hit my baby sister. And then once he got on the porch, it was a big neighborhood. Somebody said he just hit that baby. And we chased him three blocks. That concludes my story. I hope and I pray that somebody that hears this understands. As children, we understand. We know what's going on. Not only had I did I have to be the child, but I had to be the protector. Please, don't let this happen to you. Don't let it happen to your children. I survived. I made it. I have my own company of it. But somebody needs to understand, you don't have to be a volunteer victim. Break the chain of domestic violence. I want to thank Alicia for sharing her story. Like so many others, she was in a pullback. But through God and family and friends, she became an arrow. Stay safe, stay loved. I am an arrow. Mm-hmm.